Honestly, Mel, it's like it comes from my soul. It's like, uh, it, you know, it feeds my soul talking about this stuff. Yeah, it's a real passion um, and it's my mindset. Welcome to the Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I'm passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Anna Lazinski, General Counsel at L'Oreal, author and thought leader. Thank you so much for joining me. No, I want to say thank you, Mel, and congratulations for getting your podcast off the ground. I know it's been on your list, so good on you for going out there and just starting and doing it. Thank you for following along and agreeing to to come and, and be a guest. It's quite a thrill to have you. I would love to start with a bit of a fun question. If you had a limitless credit card but could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? Um, so I'm going to be a bit cheeky here because I know you're saying one shop, but I was thinking about this last night and I thought, do you know what? No, I'm going to think big and I'm going to list two shopping centres. <laughs> um, so my first is Le Bon Marché in Paris. Um, oh, gorgeous. Uh, and my second would be Bergdorf Goodman in New York. Oh, that's perfect. And what would you, what would you buy? All of the things. Well, you know, you know, I love shopping. Gosh, I don't know. I would just run wild. It's it's funny when I when I saw that question, it reminded me of being a kid, and my dream used to be to get locked in a shopping centre overnight and just have all the shops open. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. I would. <laughs> I would use my time wisely and mission shop. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm pushing for two shopping centres. Sorry. <laughs> you are more than welcome. You sorry, not it. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a problem at all. I love that one. That's very glamorous, very chic. I wouldn't expect any less from you, Anna. That's just a fun way to, to kick off. But if we if we move to, you know, why you're here and, and why I have, you know, invited you along to speak, as a, an in-house lawyer, where you're at at the moment, if you're, you find yourself out at a party, maybe it's Friday night, there's people there that you haven't met before, they kind of turn and they say, you know, Anna, what do you do? How would you describe what you do to someone outside of the I would profession? describe myself as a lawyer. And it's interesting because people sort of then, you know, raise their eyebrows. But really, I mean, I, I call myself a problem solver. You know, I'm, I'm the chief problem solver for the company that I work for and we're a team of problem solvers. So that's what it really, lawyering for me, that's what it boils down to. I, I suspect that you're, you're solving all kinds of problems in your role and they're not just legal problems or purely legal problems. Do you find that you're often asked to, to give, you know, the legal but also the commercial and the risk and, and all of the problems it's all it can be all kind of molded in together can't it uh it sure can um and and it's interesting i would add a, a third dimension which is the reputational 
So, you know, in an online world uh, and obviously working for an FMCG company, you know, the, the reputation is a big is a big factor. And I see that as a shared responsibility across the C-suite. But certainly I think it's important as a lawyer to, you know, when we're talking about risk and managing risk and risk appetite, uh, the reputational element comes hand in hand with that. When we give advice as a team, you know, we, we straddle all those um, markers, if you like, and that feeds into the ultimate recommended options or, or our advice. Do you find that a key difference between private practice lawyers and in-house lawyers is going to be that context and, and giving that advice beyond purely the legal? Has that been your experience? Yes, in some circumstances. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the evergreen challenge is how, as an in-house team, does, you know, how do you make sure that your, what I call the extended legal team, how do they get to know the business as well as in-house lawyers get to know the business in order to give that cherry on top advice? So, you know, how do they make a, a recommendation about risk or what the options are having that really strong commercial context? Because let's face it, in law school, we're not necessarily taught that. You know, we're taught the theory and we're tested on how we apply the theory in an exam setting. And then when you go into a law firm, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, it's drummed into you that it's not your role to make the commercial decision. But the reality is when you're in-house, you're constantly, you know, you're straddling that tension because sometimes your colleagues will just say, hey, what should we do here? And so therefore, uh, whilst perhaps the final call doesn't rest with you, you're very much sitting with them, you know, around the table, helping formulate a decision, acting in the best interests of the company, which is one of our core duties, you know, to act in the best interests of our client. And as in-house lawyers, obviously the company or the companies that we're responsible for um, are our clients. Um, so, so I think that's for me where, you know, the capital lawyer, the traditional lawyer is definitely evolving because as you know being in-house we're paid for our judgment but we're also paid for our commerciality and our ability to be practical and in the spirit of solving a problem we have to also offer up practical solutions. You know that that term commerciality or commercial acumen is definitely thrown around a lot and I remember being a little unsure about what that really meant when I was a junior lawyer. I thought, I need to be commercial. I'm told I need to think commercially, but I don't know what that is. Mm. (laughs) And over time, certainly got an understanding of what was expected of me and how I can add real value in-house is to overlay legal advice with commerciality. But can you elaborate a little more on what it does mean for you and what you expect of your team? I think uh, it starts with understanding the business and the industry that you're in. For me, being effective and also then being able to innovate is you've got to, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, uh, look outside to grow within. 
So your first reference point is what is the company's risk appetite here or what is the frame that, that, that they're wanting to operate in? Um, but then secondly, what's the industry doing? So are we going to be the first in the industry to be doing this? And therefore, what are the reputational ramifications? Does it fit within risk appetite? Does it sit within company policy? Because, you know, that's, that's the other thing about being an in-house lawyer is the law is one frame of reference. And it is obviously our job to administer its principles uh, to keep the companies in check. But at the same time, it's also about being able to run with the business. Uh, so if the business has a risk appetite to um, perhaps do something differently that the industry doesn't have, then it's a lawyer's job to balance, well, what does the law say? What do our company policies say? What's our risk appetite? And where are we going to land? So what are our options? What's the risk associated with each of the options? And then where do we land? And you, I think you need to understand the business really closely, also the personalities of the business, yes. and kind of then influence, persuade, weave your legal magic to then land somewhere which is compliant but also resonates with what the company is trying to do. That's brilliant. You, yeah, completely hit the nail on the head. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, and it is almost a privilege that we have of being able to really understand our business that, that we work for and the industry that we work in. And the time that we have to dedicate just to the one client usually is is really, really wonderful. And I think a key difference between private practice and in-house is that ability to just hone right into one business and, and its strategy and its uh, its personalities and what the CEO thinks and wants and understanding in such a level of detail that is not always available when you're working across so many matters and, and so many companies. So it's certainly a key difference I just wanted to, to point out there. I personally love being able to just deep dive into an industry I know that you, you haven't always worked in-house. You, you started, uh, as many, many of us do, in, in private practice. I'd love to ask you just a little bit about your, your early days as a junior lawyer and, you know, broadly what your experience was in private practice. I mean, it's funny. I look back now and I absolutely am so grateful for my time in private practice. And whilst, gosh, it was challenging for days and days on end sometimes, some of the skills that I take for granted and are second nature to me today uh, hark back to the kind of military-style training um, that one receives uh, in private practice and the reverence for attention to detail and really being able to, as you say, deep dive um, not into an industry but into a technical area of law. So. I mean, you know, I, I you know, I'm not going to romanticize the start. The beginning was totally not what I expected. I found some of the personalities really grating. I found some of the leaders completely uninspiring and that their values didn't align with my core values. So I found the culture very different to what I imagined because again, uh, my exposure to private practice partners, and I had a lot of exposure to private practice partners because I was very heavily involved and on the leadership team for a law student society. So I probably, you know, had a good sense of the of the individual. 
But then the culture of a top-tier law firm, having done clerkships and things, was very different, you know, being um, a grad uh, or an article clerk, as it was known back then. But, you know, and and again, that's where my mindset sort of, my mindset work ticked, you know, really um, clicked in because I could have woken up every day and chosen to see all the challenges, but instead I chose to focus on what I was learning. I would focus on um, uh, understanding what I never would do as a leader once I assumed, you know, the the day that I assumed that position. Uh, It allowed me to understand politics uh, really early on. And uh, obviously, you know, one of the things that was always drummed into me from my private practice days was you're only as good as your last piece of work. Oh, gosh. No pressure, hey. No pressure. <laughs> I met such incredible people and we had so much fun as, as a cohort. I mean, there was 45 of us and, you know, the stories I can tell you. Uh, and, you know, law firms were were prosperous then. So it was pre-GFC, you know, there was a lot of money uh, invested in um, those who were, start, you know, starting out. So, you know, there was a lot of fun that we had. And, you know, one thing that I absolutely cherish and I'm so grateful for is that, you know, I can literally pick up the phone or bump into someone from my article year and they'll be right there for me and vice versa. And even though we've all kind of, you know, disbanded and obviously take it, taken very different paths, there is that connection and that feeling of, hey, you know, we, we went through, you know, we're in the trenches together. That is, uh, that bonds you for life. And I, I love that. And I also love how, you know, everyone has taken such a distinct path uh, and they're all incredibly successful and it's, yeah, it's it's wonderful. And, and you know, we have um, an AGM. It's really nerdy, but someone always uh, calls an AGM every year for us, to, for those that are in Melbourne and who are able to, to come together and have a chat. And um, I'm often not able to make those dinners because I'm travelling for work or otherwise, but um, the ones that I can make, I just have the best time because it just takes me back to a beautiful moment in my career. Um, but I'm not going to lie, it was absolutely challenging and did, did, did it meet my expectations every day? No way. But did it make me a better operator as a lawyer? Absolutely. And I'm really grateful for that. Yes. And as you say, the connections that you have and the network that you, you've started forming from from the beginning and have stayed in touch. And I, I think that's so lovely to to shift the mindset, as you said, when you're in a challenging time, it's so important to really keep in check with where your your mindset is at and where your thoughts are at and how you can shift them and, and come to a place of gratitude. And I, I know that's how you operate now. And I'd love to touch on this a little further later, but I just wanted to to call that out because even as a junior lawyer, you will find yourself in challenging situations. But I think it's wonderful that you were honing that that mindset and that gratitude from the beginning and I imagine it's really helped throughout the rest of your career as well oh yeah absolutely I mean you know when I have people reach out to me saying I'm really struggling I'm in a law firm I can't see the light or I'm finding this really difficult or I'm working with a really difficult personality my advice is always okay 
but what's the good? So what was good about it this week? What did you learn this week or today? So focus on that or whatever your values are or whatever your goals are, focus on curating that in the environment that you're in rather than everything that's not happening to you or everything that you're not getting. Because, you know, as you and I know, Mel, no corporate is perfect, no workplace is perfect, no human is perfect. Uh, you know, everyone's going to show up differently. Everyone's at a different stage of their life. Everyone goes to work for very different, you know, with different motivations. And I think the quicker as a junior that you understand that, the the less energy you waste. And um, I think the happier, you know, you'll be in the law. That's such great advice. I absolutely love it. Finding a way for you to operate as a lawyer that's aligned with your values is it's just fundamental and it's, you know, it can be forged in the fire, but when you're in the trenches, as you said, there is a real opportunity to connect with your core values and understand what they might be. That's, yeah, such wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing. I'd love to shift from the, the private practice world to your, your first in-house gig and how you went about doing that and, and where the, the drive came for you to even make that transition? So I actually was fortunate enough to be seconded as a second year solicitor to uh, the firm's, one of the firm's top 25 clients. And I was Melbourne based, but the opportunity for the secondment at one of the big four banks was actually in Sydney. And so I think again, harking back to that commerciality factor and also really pushing so I was a boundary pusher from day one Mel from the beginning I'm not surprised and so I think because you know in drafting documents and and I was sitting in litigation at the time I was very outcome focused so I would often uh, you know I could get really technical as well um, but I realized that's not where my passion or that's not where my satisfaction came from. It was more about, hey, hang on, what's the outcome here? Can I talk to the client? You know, can I have a chat to them about that? Or can I be privy to that conversation? I really need to hear that for my why. Why am I sitting here drafting court documents that are very technical, very specific? You know, there's an art to them in drafting. I need to find my why. Can I go and have a coffee with the client? Which was unheard of as, you know, particularly with top clients, right, of the firm because it's very much a partner's domain and then even a relationship partner's domain to do that. So I I was fortunate enough, you know, some of the partners, not all, indulged me and would take me, you know, to the client meeting or would invite me, you know, into the meeting room. So, you know, that's where my spirit of if you don't ask, you don't get because, you know, my success rate wasn't 100% with that question of can I can I be client-facing early on. But I think it then because they could see that I could handle myself and, you know, be professional in that setting, I, you know, thankfully they thought of me for the opportunity and, it was interesting. I've been through personally. I've been through a, a pretty bad breakup, and um, summer in Sydney never looked so good. Mm. Uh, and so, um, cut my teeth, you know, on a secondment, and I loved it. Um, so I was there. I was seconded to do a very specific role, which is to perform about nine months worth of discovery 
uh, but for the Enron uh, litigation, global oh, Enron litigation, which was super cool. Huge. Yeah, really huge. Uh, I remember going and seeing the doco. So the doco on the Enron litigation had just dropped into cinemas and I was living in Circular Quay and so there was there's the opera cinema downstairs in Circular Quay and I remember going one night on my own. I love going to the movies on my own, side note. Um, love going with my husband too, but I have I, I love it. I know a lot. It scares a lot of people, but I actually would go once. It's the best. The best. And uh, anyway, I saw this duck on. I thought, wow, I'm working on that. And I'm only 25 or something at this point. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. And again, it gave me such context, big picture, and some why around, you know, why am I sitting here trawling through thousands of documents in a period of time? The other thing that then um, I earned, I guess, was the ability to work on some matters outside of this one matter, huge matter that I was working on. And so uh, I was able to have contact with the business, learn how to really solve problems, had to stand on my own two feet, you know, baby lawyer here, making calls, obviously, you know, deferring to my colleagues where I felt I needed to. But, you know, for two years, I had drummed into me that I can't send anything to a client without two people signing it off Mm. and all of a sudden uh, there was no sign off. There just wasn't the capacity to review everything I was doing and so this next level of trust came in and it was wonderfully scary. Security blanket is removed. Yeah and so you know you just kind of had to embrace it and roll with it and uh, really learn uh, when do I need to go and talk to someone more about this because I'm unsure and you know that's where I really practiced you know that's where I practice intuitively yeah so I just absolutely loved it I loved um, so much about it I love getting to know the business it was a huge business it was going through a restructure I found that um, incredibly uh, humbling and also an incredible learning experience because I understood things like how does that affect culture and morale and the things that we were talking about in team meetings, which were never discussed in a law firm environment because they didn't need to be. Mm. And so, uh, and then what I loved about it is when I came out of the secondment and came back to Melbourne, I was able to use my relationships to actually um, garner up some work for other partners in the Melbourne office and in the Sydney office. And it also allowed me to expand my network so I got to know the firm's Sydney office people as well, which I loved. I love, again, you know, meeting the people, feeling like you're part of a bigger picture because you are. But if you don't have that network, you sometimes don't feel it. You can know it intellectually, but you don't feel it. Yep, for sure. So anyway, that's my long-winded answer of saying that's how I first cut my teeth in the in-house realm. And I loved it so much. But then it made me question my initial ambition because I thought I'd be equi- you know, a young gun equity partner at the firm. Uh, it made me think, do you know what? This is what I loved about M&A and I'm still getting to be, you know, uh, I, I didn't necessarily think I wanted to be an M&A, M&A lawyer, but I thought, gee, the, the commercial aspect, the solving the problems, I love this. You know, I'm really, this is, this is kind of, my, you know, I'm in my element here. But at the time, I'd spoken to recruiters. The company actually offered me a job to stay, but for personal reasons, because I met my now husband, who was Melbourne-based and couldn't move to Sydney, I had to decline. Um, but that was a really tough moment for me because I was really torn by it. But I also had recruiters in my ear saying, you're too young. You don't know enough. 
you don't have enough technical prowess. You'll never be a good in-house lawyer if you jump out now. And so anyway, those vo- I listened to those voices. Mm. And so I came back to private practice. And that's when I actually, to use the word of the day, pivoted and became an insolvency litigator because the subprime price crisis had hit. And so that 18 months, I billed, like my billable units were through the roof. I was just working on insult, like big corporate collapses after big corporate collapses. And yeah, so for 18 months, I put my head down, but I was also researching which companies I wanted to apply to. And what, what really sitting for a very long time about what was it that I wanted to, or what were the qualities of the company that I wanted to work for next? And then, you know, would apply and start interviewing. And then I found, finally landed on a, on a role in-house at a multinational, and that's where kind of my multinational career began, I guess. Amazing. And at what point in your career were you then? So I was a fourth year, which again was, so I was on the cusp of sort of a uh, senior associateship and uh, being a, and again, I don't necessarily agree with the recruiter's advice now, to be honest, but that was the kind of the right time. It was still a little bit early, according to some recruiters. And, you know, they would counsel me and say, oh, look, it's going to be difficult, Anna, because you're not at the senior associate mark. And I said, yeah, but I'm almost there. And my, and I was really confident in my experience then. Yeah. I mean, I was running $100 million corporate collapses virtually on my own. So I felt like, do you know what? I've had this in-house experience. I worked really hard in the law firm because for me, I knew it was an opportunity to just be a sponge. And the more files I took on or the more that I worked on, whether it was crappy work or really, you know, highly intellectually stimulating work, for me, I absolutely approached that with the mindset of, Learn, 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 mm. because that's going to put you in good stead for whatever you do next. Thank you for really drawing that out for me. I, I love to hear transition from private practice to in-house because I, I just think we all have such different experiences. I do love what you're doing now. And I'm, I'm going to jump, jumping through a little bit of the chronology here because I know you would have so much to share on your more recent in-house experience. But I would just love to unpack a little about what you're doing at the moment. You are such a fierce advocate for innovation in the legal industry and and have been for some time. And I've, I've seen that. And I just would love to know what was the catalyst for this passion and and where this came from. I think Practicing law differently or doing law differently is something I've been cultivating probably my whole life when I look back, but certainly throughout my legal career. I always tried to put my mark on things and do things differently. So if I was presented with uh, something that involved change management, or I, I tended to flock towards projects uh, in my career that had an element of change management. Okay. And I was really fascinated by change management. You know, in, uh, when, when I was at Holden, you know, I would often uh, do things differently or I would approach things differently. I would project manage differently because my first question was, particularly if it had been done before, 
I love unpacking and debriefing and saying, okay, well, what worked and what didn't work and how can we do it differently? So that's kind of something that's always going on in the back of my head. If it's something that's been done before, obviously, if it's a clean slate, well, then, wow, you know, that, that makes my eyes sparkle tenfold. So it's something I've been cultivating my, my entire career. And honestly, Mel, it's like it comes from my soul. It's like, uh, it, you know, it feeds my soul talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, it, lights you, it lights you up. It's a real, a real passion. Yeah, it's a real passion Um, and it's my mindset. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, And obviously I've had, you know, in the current role that I'm in, you know, I've had a wonderful opportunity to really harness that. I think as I started speaking to people about it and, you know, it became even a topic that people wanted to talk about because it was very underground, Mm. you know, 10 years ago. I remember meeting with legal tech providers in my last role. Uh, It was very underground. It sort of felt like, gee, you know, you're meeting with them, you know, or you're talking about that because there was very much a stigma attached of, oh, well, you're outsourcing your work to that because that wasn't a defined stream of being able to outsource your work. That is so interesting. Now it's all the rage. Yeah. And so I think now what I'm focused on is really around, yes, it's the number one topic that is on everyone's uh, lips, but how do we move from discussion to action? Mm. That for me is, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I've been through that journey. I've kind of been cultivating that. So, you know, how do, how do we kind of get everyone you know, on that same train um, because I really believe in it and it's worked all throughout my career. So so for me, as you say, it lights me up. And so I feel very much, uh, I'm very much called to be the light around this topic. Yes. And you are, and, you, and you're so, so gracious with your sharing and, you know, putting out to the community the, the lessons that you've learned and the, the journey that you've been on in bringing innovation into your practice i'd love to just really hear from you what is innovation to you innovation is so many things so it doesn't have to be all about tech you know tech obviously is your uh ticket to fast efficiency so you know that's your that's your um that's your bullet train to achieve efficiency in the way that a lawyer can deliver legal services and then, you know, there's a whole wonderful trickle-on effect of getting data and focusing on process and process improvement. So so for me, you know, tech is like an octopus and the tentacles, are, you know, these wonderful kind of uh, results that you get, you know, changing the way that um, you're perceived by a business of how you lawyer, aligning with what a business does, which is to, you know, to have technology, um, all those kinds mm. of things. But innovation is... You know, put simply, it's about making something better or, uh, you know, putting a new spin on it or uh, playing in the new and creating something new. It's about continuous improvement. It can be also about doing something creatively. It's not just about tech. It's really... It's a mindset, isn't it? It's a mindset. Yeah, that's the how. For sure. And I can see you living in that space and everything that that you do seems to come from the mindset of 
how can I do this better? But also just because it's always been this way doesn't mean that it needs to continue in this way. Like let's not be afraid to peel back the layers and see is this actually working and asking those questions. And in in our industry, they can be hard questions to ask. People don't always like change as as you kind of mentioned, you've been drawn towards change and managing change. Sometimes it's not always uh, the experience of our colleagues and, and some in different generations as well might, might find different, you know, sticking points and freaking out a little bit about what's all this, what's all this innovation. But, you know, I see the evolution of the discussion and it's, it's very much happening. And I think that you're, as, as always, you're one step ahead. And you're actually saying, okay, guys, we, we're discussing it. We've, we're looking at solutions. Look at all these tech vendors out there. But let's take some action here and stop talking <laughs> and actually yeah. try, actually try and fail and pivot and, and all of those um, messy things that, that lawyers maybe don't sometimes like to take a risk on. So I, I commend you for leading the discussion, being at the forefront and now pushing into, okay, let's let's take some action and here are some steps. You've got so many resources available on your website and talk about on, on your Instagram page and elsewhere, I'm sure, about um, how to actually take that action. So I'll be, I'll be linking all of that into the show notes here because it's, oh, thank you. it's super, super, super interesting. And I see that you've actually launched your you have your ebook and now you've turned it into an audiobook which again like congratulations that is awesome thank firstly, you because you know i'm just so impressed with the 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 new frontier and every time you do something it just seems to be something new and something different and something that you uh, may never have done before and yet you just you fight through and you put it out there and i just love when I see people doing that. It's it's so inspiring. So I just yeah have to say publicly how inspiring it is to see you be fearless as you as you say and push forward with trying new things. It's so cool. It's so inspiring. <laughs> so- yeah, thank you. Uh, but I think I think for me, you know, I do all of this really intuitively. You know, people always say, "Hey, what's your strategy with your side hustle?" And you know, I'm not. There's no shame, and I'm not shy to say. Do you know what? It just comes intuitively. Mm, that's awesome. You know, I meditate a lot and it's amazing, you know, being in the stillness, you know, you, you literally, you know, we're living technology. We get downloads. You know, when you go for a walk and you think, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if? That's kind of the self-talk that I support, <laughs> you know, and want to focus on. And I'm not saying, gosh, you know, my mindset's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but every day I wake up and I choose to control what goes on in my head so that I can get these pearls of wisdom or I can or I can tap into the wisdom that we all have within ourselves but just Mm. sometimes we're not ready to or we don't want to listen to it so I'm just having fun uh, and being a guinea pig of I don't know what um and just trying new things putting it out there yeah and just hoping you know hoping that 
people, that it serves people, or, you know, it absolutely warms my heart to, um, to hear that people are inspired by my content or, you know, because that's, that's what I'm doing it for. That's why I'm sharing, because I feel this massive calling to share, you know, some of this stuff. I love that. And I think it's so important to give yourself the space and the time, as you say, to just pull back from the the higher frequency of the day and and to come back to yourself and and be in meditation or go for a walk or be in nature or whatever it might be for for the individual to to tap into that inner voice that's actually got all of the answers and is is just waiting for us to just be a little quiet and and again go into that intuition and um, I'm seeing a theme here with with the way that your career has unfolded and what guides you seems to come from that inner intuition of that gut feeling of this is this is the right path for me and it's it's leading you you know in in a way that's aligned to your values and I think that's that's awesome that's the that's the goal really I think for all of us beyond our legal career just as um people it's super lovely to to speak to you about that it's not something that uh, we often talk about openly about our inner dialogues and processes but it you know, can form the foundation of how we show up in the world. And it's nice to see how it works for you. And I'm, I take a lot from it. I'm sure others will as well. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's being goal oriented, but also what I, you know, my big body of work is also just being able to go with the flow a little bit um, because opportunities arise when you least expect them. And, and going with the flow, as you say, us lawyers don't always like that. We like certainty and, and a pathway. And, you know, yeah, and sometimes the, sorry to cut you off, but sometimes the things that you go into going, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. And, you know, I get this often at legal training. People go, oh, gosh, I was really dreading that session, but I'm actually really glad I came and it was awesome. You know, so sometimes you can have those moments where, you know, you're thinking, oh, no, this is going to be X and it ends up being Y and you're like, yeah, awesome. I love it. Being open and uh, going with the flow. <laughs> being open-minded that's such good advice I have loved speaking with you Anna we we could speak at length for hours and I had all these other questions planned to ask so we might have to do a part two down the track when when we get to it but I I have one last question I'd just love to know what you're excited about at the moment and what's next for you what am I excited about I think I'm kind of feeling like the 20s uh for the legal profession will be like the 20s in humans which is the decade of experimentation really um, getting to know yourself, trying different things, um, running wild and free a little bit, Uh, you know, meeting a whole lot of people, trying things out, building relationships. Um, So I'm hoping that the 2020s will be like that for the legal profession. And I'm excited because it's for the first time I feel like, um, you know, we're always on the cusp of changing. But I think... I think we're now literally, you know, on the precipice of it. And it was interesting. I've had a few people write to me separately saying, oh, your content's actually finally relevant now. Thank oh, you. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I'm excited because I, I think the message is finally landing. Yes. That as a profession we need to transform more rapidly and also, to put it really bluntly, to get with the times. 
Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I'm actually really, I'm fascinated to see how we recover from um, this economic fallout yeah. and um, from the C word mm -hmm. because, uh, and you and I have chatted about this before on an, on um, on Friday Night Live on Instagram, but, you know, the, there were so many interesting things that came out and so much innovation that came out post-GFC. Mm. And so, uh, and it took a while, you know, we, we didn't see technology, legal technology start emerging until about 2012-ish. And, you know, that started in the US. So I think it'll be a really exciting time. And, you know, it's a really good time um, for people who are creating ideas and perhaps coming up with minimum viable products to really kind of work out, you know, who their, who their audience is and, you know, is there demand for um, for for the minimum viable product. So I think we're going to see a lot of innovation that stems from all of this. Absolutely. Uh, and that it would be really great, and I say this in my ebook. it would be really great to sort of reflect about a point in time where all of a sudden it just clicked for the profession. And I'm hoping that this is the moment where there's a lot more clicking happening mm -hmm. uh, and people are understanding that, that legal leadership can't just be traditional anymore no it's you know it's our business it's a lawyer's business no matter where you're practicing and who you're working for that you need to be more business-minded and you need to have an innovation focus necessity is the mother of all invention and we are in a, a time and space of just huge uh shifting and upheaval of people's lives and and jobs and the economy and health and and everything is it's just really been thrown up for a lot of us in a lot of different ways and i know that there will be some real creativity and some some really interesting things that come out of this and at the very least i think the way in which we work and the the idea of commuting long distances and all of the things that can grate on us at some times might be might be open for discussion so I, I think the way of work is it, I hope it's it's been changed but we will shall see it's uh it's been a fascinating time and like you said we may very well look back at this time and go okay that was the that was the pivotal moment and that's what it took for the legal profession to shake up and shake off some really old paradigms I yeah suppose, so love that and I thank you so much for your time you've just been completely generous and you know we're, we're talking on a Saturday and you've got so many other lovely things to do with your weekend but I just love speaking with you and we could have could talk for hours <laughs> about yeah. so many other things there's so much to unpack but you are sharing daily on your Instagram page at Legally Innovative which I love and adore and follow closely and, and just such a fan of what you do. So we will um, leave it there, but thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mel. No, it's been an absolute pleasure and happily spend a Saturday morning with a cup of tea in hand chatting to you. So thank you and congratulations once again on launching your podcast, um, a fantastic example of turning a discussion into action. So uh, go you, because I also know you have a busy day job. So um, it's no mean feat <laughs> balancing both. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. 
I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.